now we are live. Welcome back, everybody, to the JT Show. Once again, just a reminder to everybody, if you have not hit that subscribe button, do that so you can catch all of our latest and greatest content here on the JT Show. I'm joined today by my featured guest, Steve Hennessy from Golf Digest Magazine. Steve, welcome to the show. You are the Deputy Managing Editor at Golf Digest. I am, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's uh, it's great to be on and chatting. You know, you're one of our uh, course panelists for Golf Digest, so uh, we've we've known each other now, going back five years, and great to see you doing the show. And happy to be a part of it. Everybody always comments to me like, you know, how do you how do you meet these people? We had um, um, James Spicer from Daphne's Head Covers on in a previous episode, and she had like you know the tiger. Uh, yep. head cover and everything on and, and we're like how do you get these people on the show and I'm like I don't know I mean like you know just go around and uh, we met you know four or five years ago at the uh, PGA merch show down in yep. Orlando and I think everything I was working for a company called Grunt Style at the time yep. and you were doing some writing and uh, things just one thing led into another and then the next thing I know I'm on the uh, the Golf Digest panelist uh, review so that's that's you know kind of just been a whirlwind um, ride great to see that your your success and and congratulations on your success uh, with golf digest as well my Thanks, friend. Man. yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I remember my brother at the time you know he's former military and most of my family is so you know I knew of ground style and just got we just kind of got to chatting and chatting about golf courses so that's the cool thing about the golf industry is everyone has a common connection in some way and everyone mm-hmm for the most part is willing to help each other out. So, you know, you expressed an interest in doing the course rating thing and uh, you're talking to the right person at the time. So yeah, here we are uh, both enjoying where we are in life five years later. So all good. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, panelist rate ratings right now. Um, tell us a little bit more about the program and what it actually contributes to. And that upcoming uh, issue of golf digest, we all look forward to every year. Sure. Yeah. So Golf Digest America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses is the oldest uh, and most respected franchise in course rankings. So in 1966, the editors of Golf Digest decided that they would rank golf courses and they didn't really have a methodology at all. It was basically what people might expect our rankings to be. And that was just you know, a hundred people in a room smoking cigars and cigarettes and uh, trying to convince each other why one course is better than the other. And that determined the original list was, which was the hundred toughest courses in America. And, you know, that tells you where we are in golf course architecture back then, uh, you know, difficulty and toughness really defined what a great golf course was in 1966. And Mm -hmm. now fast forward to 2023, we have a panel of almost 1,900 uh, course panelists around the U.S. and Canada, of of which you're one of them as well. Um, And we've now defined what makes a great golf course, or at least the the definitions and the scoring criteria. So there's six of them. Um, Our panelists rate each course that they play from 1 to 10. We just simply average out all those scores at the end of every two years, our rankings are published every two years. And um, the only things that we do are we throw out any outliers, extreme outliers. So if something deviates by more than 10 points uh, from the the mean score, we figure that those scores are really off base. So Mm -hmm. there's, it's very scientific. Um, It's also uh, pretty democratic. So it's, it has nothing to do with what the editors of golf digest think it's, you know, mm-hmm. by our course raters who we train, um, and, you know, they apply to become a panelist because they express, you know, that they know their stuff in terms of course design and they travel a lot. They make their own schedules. Uh, they're all volunteers. Yep. Um, so it's a cool thing. It, you know, it's cool for me to be a part of it. I think it's like my eighth year now helping oversee it. And, you know, when I started, I didn't really know much about course design, but as you know, John, like mm-hmm. there's a never ending, um, just plethora of information and things to learn about course design. So I've kind of thrown myself into it as well. And even though I don't score the courses myself, mm-hmm. I, I kind of keep my own personal, um, list and, you know, I have opinions based on where courses are on our rankings, whether they should be higher or lower. So that that's the point of the rankings. It's to 
to promote discussion of golf courses and golf course architecture. And there's, there's probably no right or wrong answer about these things, but um, it's fun to discuss. That's what we all talk about after we play a round of golf where a course should be ranked. So it, it's, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. You said uh, it's really scientific uh, and, and it 100% is. Um, just speaking as, as a golf course raider, um, you know, there's a lot of training involved. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of recommended reading on golf course architecture. Um, so if, if there's anybody out there uh, that's interested in being a part of the program, um, we'll actually put a link um, down at the bottom to uh, the current um, course rating list, um, as well as uh, information on, on how to uh, how to become a, a course raider. But going back to that topic, though, there's 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 a lot of research that goes into it. You said there's there's six um, scoring criteria, and yeah. it's like it, it is. I mean, it's not like just going out playing around a golf and oh, I like that course or that that course was shitty. You know, it's okay. no, it's actually like really down and 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 into the data into yeah. metrics of what makes a golf course and a lot of yeah. it surprisingly comes into um uh, architecture you know yes and, and that was i guess maybe kind of coming in as a, as a newcomer i mean i always played a lot of golf too but coming right. into the program that's kind of what took me by surprise more than anything yeah um, and i think yeah. a lot of people probably think that you know it's just based on which course gives free golf to a raider and, you know, where the best uh, turtle soup is or, you know, we, we try to remove all the BS from it. Um, we, we have strict rules, as you know, um, there's a code of conduct and we have zero tolerance. We kick off, you know, at least a dozen raiders a year, um, you know, because they've committed an infraction on that code of conduct. One of those is accepting a free lunch. You, you can't do it. Um, mm -hmm. if a course is, is offering you, you know, Hey, come inside and, you know, lunch is on us. We tell our, our Raiders, you, you have to decline unless there's a way for you to pay. And some of these clubs, you know, mm -hmm. they don't accept credit cards. So unless mm -hmm. you, you have a reciprocal somewhere you have to decline. And, um, those things are really important for us. You know, there's other, uh, panels and other publications where their rules might not be as strict, but we feel, you know, there, there's this perception of, of Raiders and, um, you know, that they're in it for the wrong reasons and they just want to play all this free golf. And it's really important for us to strip that out mm -hmm. and, um, and take that perception out, at least, you know, as it relates to Golf Digest. And right. I feel we do as good of a job as we can. Um, it's tough with so many panelists out there, yeah. but, you know, we encourage all golf courses to let us know if there's any sort of infraction on our code of conduct and uh yeah as you know and you've heard some of the stories we, we have zero, mm -hmm. zero tolerance for all of it i um in my experience um you know i mean it depends on the courses you're playing at like uh you know some of the traffic higher traffic courses you know it's they, they get a lot of raiders that come through you know and it's mm -hmm. like yeah, they, they be as accommodating as they can be but i've i've noticed other times too um at some of the smaller courses uh very gracious very honored to uh to have you know a member from uh golf digest panel panelists right. you know be on hand and a lot of times the uh the the managing directors or the uh the golf professionals as well as like the owners even sometimes will come out and you know just shake your hand and yeah. I, I think it's important to like you know just give them a thanks and you know they they want your they want your score but um i think more than anything I, I, they just appreciate um having us out and and you know giving us their unbiased uh opinion you know on their yes. course so it's a great program obviously there are others out there uh but the uh the golf digest program is uh by far the granddaddy of them all as we say so yeah um and going back to another thing you said too um you know like when we start talking about the golf course golf uh industry um it's it's really a small industry i mean comparatively yes. speaking to maybe some of the other major sports out there it's it's just such a small family i mean like you pretty much know everybody who all you know we know who our favorite players are on tours and stuff like that but in the industry itself um you know it's 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 really small family so when you go down to the merch show and stuff you tend to see a lot of the same folks and yes know who the same folks are and stuff like that so yeah now that i've been in the industry for uh 12 years which is crazy to say i started in a cubicle at 
Golf Digest the week after I graduated from college. And uh, yeah, I feel like I know, you know, not everybody, but at all the major um, places, I, I do know people and, you know, folks I call my friends. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's pretty crazy how small the industry is, as you know. Now, let's talk industry stuff right now. As okay. many of us are aware, uh, there's been a lot going on. In, in golf, uh, 2024 is going to be a crazy year and in the years to follow. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things um, that I've been hearing and a lot of feedback I've been getting from my friends and, and people in the industry is this ball rollback issue. Um, you know, I mean, what what we first heard, I mean, it was just supposed to be something that was going to affect the tour pros, you know, right. and then now all of a sudden they announced this decision. And it's like supposed to affect everybody and there's going to be a major rollback for everybody, including all the amateurs and just everyday golfers. And according to what I'm seeing, like by 2030, there's supposed to be like this. That's when everything. Correct. And we're like talking like, well, how is that going to work? Like you're playing in a scramble with your buddies or something. And the other guys say, oh, you know, you don't have the, the rollback ball. You know, we're, we're going to DQ. You know? Oh, yeah. What, what's not what, cheating what, already in, right. in scrambles. Like, right. come on. Why? Well, I mean, well, from what you've gathered, what really was precipitated this decision to make this happen? I mean, this affects so many in our yeah, game that we love. You're right. I think originally, you know, Mike Wan, the the head of the USGA, even as as recently as March, um, you know, said publicly that this is not something that we want to affect the average golfer. We, you know, we're only really concerned about the the professional game, and so. You know, I, I was pretty surprised. I think a lot of people were that, you know, there was a, a universal rollback um, instead of some sort of bifurcation. But I, I think mm -hmm. the more you dig into it and, you know, as you know, how the industry works, um, mm -hmm. money, and this is true of any industry, obviously, but money dictates everything. So, you know, if you think about all the, the major players involved, you know, the PGA Tour, the the equipment companies themselves, if they were to have to create this second ball, you know, mm -hmm. this is speaking to the equipment manufacturers, if, if they mm -hmm. have to, you know, figure out the R&D and build, you know, separate, um, you know, manufacturing processes just for right. this ball that's played by, you know, one hundredth of the, the golf population, then, right. you know, they're going to lose, it's going to really affect their bottom line. And, you know, just speaking candidly, I think that's mm -hmm. what spurred this decision. I think if it was mm -hmm. up to the, the rolling bodies, you know, we would have bifurcation, but mm -hmm. I think what was important to the USGA and the RNA was that this wouldn't affect the average golfer as much as they hope it will for uh, the professional game. So the way that they've looked at uh, swing speed a mile per hour, that this, you know, new rollback ball will have a greater effect for higher swing speeds mm -hmm. relative to, you know, your average Joe's, you know, hitting it 205 yards off the tee as it is. I'm pretty close to that average Joe. So I could relate to that, <laughs> that sentiment because it, it would be a big deal if I'm hitting it 205 off the tee and now all of a sudden I'm hitting it 190, that's really going to affect your, yep. your enjoyment of the game. But, yep. you know, according to what the rolling bodies are saying, it will only if be your drives will only be affected by a few yards. Um, if you swing at a lower swing speed, if you're a higher swing speed, it's a different uh, topic, but um, you know, I've sort of, I was really angry actually mm -hmm. when, when it came out and I didn't, understand why they would do that at this time where golf is growing um you know covid you know is a terrible thing for the world but for mm -hmm. golf it created this great participation boom um golf is in the best place it's been since peak tiger woods um so why would you yep. reduce enjoyment of the game for for people right. but the, the more that i'm open to hearing feedback from the rolling bodies I don't think it will be as big of a deal for the average golfer as I originally thought. And I think mm -hmm. that's the biggest uh, thing that I'm concerned about is how it's going to affect all of us. And, you know, if you're taking distance off the tee and, you know, on approach away from us, that's a bad thing, but hopefully it's not as bad as I originally thought it was. Well, I think, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of our tour pros. There's, there's been a lot of, um, 
people outspoken, you know, on, on both sides yep. of the fence on this issue. And, yep. you know, I've, I've, I've read in the media um, some of the comments from uh, Rory McIlroy and, you know, he seems to be, you know, really in favor of it and kind of really outspoken um, as to people why they would be questioning it. And which kind of, I don't know, I guess it doesn't really make sense to me because if here's a scenario that we were talking about uh, just last night, um, you know, if Rory hits the ball 330 off the tee, and the new ball comes into play and he's only hitting it three, you know, three and some change off the tee. Mm-hmm. Now, what about your, 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 your average hitter tour pro, you know, who's hitting it to right. 90 or 285 off the tee. And now he's hit, he's back to like 265 or something like that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's still a pretty good disparity there. How is this actually changing, really changing anything? I mean, I, I get it. I, 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 I see what they, what the data They've, they've released shows, but really when we're talking at that higher echelon of the game and the, the your average hitter tour pro, who's still a hell of a golfer, right. you know, uh, but just maybe is not. I mean, and, and, and the thing people don't realize is it's only that upper, you know, 5% of, of the tour actually hit it, you know, 350, you know, right. or 330, you know, and average that. I mean, that's really an uncommon distance mm-hmm. becoming maybe more common now. But, uh, you know, it's still, you know, that that 290, 295, maybe closer to 300, you know, is is still like average tour distance. Those guys are still going to get knocked back, yes. you know, and it's going to bring hitters, the longer hitters like Rory back. But it's still going to have that disparity there. You know, I, I just fail to see how bringing in the, the rollback is going to like bring the field closer together. I mean, in some ways, yes, but the longer hitters are still going to have an advantage and the shorter hitters are going to just get knocked back, you know, at the, at the pro level. A hundred percent. It's a great point. And one that I don't think the average golf fan thinks about, you know, at first glance at this, that this actually creates a bigger advantage, I think for the the longest hitters, because now you're right that the guy who's hitting it 280 off the tee, you know, take Brian Harmon, for example, you know, open champion, Brian Harmon, who, It's at 285. Now, all of a sudden, he's hitting it 265. He's hitting, you know, five or six iron into way more holes than he was before. And, you know, Rory's hitting like an eight iron. And, you know, Harmon, that kind of player is going to struggle more because it's harder to hit a five iron. I think the ruling bodies want to see more of that shot making and emphasize the skill in that. And, you know, I think it's admirable to to want that in an ideal world, but I think mm. you know your view is more realistic. That um, you know the longest hitters are this just plays into their hands more, and I get why the ruling bodies mm-hmm. knew that they had to do something because it was you know guys are just going to get stronger, and they they still will they'll get stronger yep. and more physically gifted, and would be hitting at three hundred fifty yards. Um, you know, on average in a few years and, you know, you have to protect, I guess, against um, some of these courses being obsolete. You know, the thing is it only affects really a few uh, Mm -hmm. great golf courses that they play on tour. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the the St. Andrews and um, Marion and Augusta. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, you know, I, I think these courses, you know, like the, the John Deere at TPC Deer Run, like, right. you know, it, it does a good job at defending against par, uh, even as a short golf course. Same with Hilton Head um, at Harbor Town. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, again, it, it'll be, I think, 2028. This comes into play for the, the mm-hmm. professional game, 20, 2030 for the average golfer. Um, but I think I'm, I'm mostly with you that, you know, I don't know that this was necessary at this time. It it feels like they're playing catch up mm-hmm. to, you know, just the last 20 years of inaction in this right. category yep. that, you know, if they had done something um, in, in, you know, 2005, uh, we'd right. be in a better place. And they're just sort of hoping this, you know, puts a, a bandaid on a larger issue. And um, I would have liked to have seen them do something differently, like, attacking the uh the size of club heads you know um if you just rolled it back to like 400 cubic mm-hmm. centimeters in, instead of 460 you would have seen mm-hmm. a huge difference um mm-hmm. 
And that wouldn't have affected, you know, if you created this extra set of equipment for the pros, it wouldn't have affected us. But uh, here we are, you know, it seems like this is going to happen and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Definitely kind of feels like the rubber band effect because, you know, yeah. you, you talk about that era, 2005. I mean, Tiger was in his heyday. We, right. we, we all hear about Tiger proofing courses, you know, right. and courses literally changed. I mean, they were pushing tees back. I mean, they made all kinds of changes at Augusta. Yes. I mean, there was just all kinds of things. So it, I, I know that golf course owners and in and, and that industry, you know, definitely felt the impact of that. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, why why not make a change in equipment? And that's something we should talk talk about because we've seen that trend in equipment. And it's just been unbelievable how every year, every year. I mean, and, and I can attest to it with, you know, a, the new driver technology that comes out. I don't know how you know they can keep doing this, but I mean they keep adding on, making yeah. something better, thinner face, jailbreak, you know, all of the stuff that that yeah. that keeps coming out, keeps making the ball go farther. But yet now, okay, they're not going to do anything with that. I mean, that's millions and millions of dollars, a billion dollar industry. Oh yeah. And so now we're going to just okay try and make one fell swoop. And say, okay, we're just gonna make a dead ball. Now it's the dead ball area era, and everybody's gonna have to play it. You know, it's like a big shit sandwich. We all have, we all have to take a bite. You know, I, oh, I just, as I said earlier, money rules all. So I, I think we, I think we figured it out. Well, let's talk equipment. Um, you know, you got the uh, the. We all look forward to the the hot list, Golf Digest hot list every year. Um, the latest and greatest. Uh, you know, equipment is 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 a big deal. Um, what do you got to, to share with us with the, uh, the hot list coming out this year? Yeah. I mean, I'm with you how crazy innovation continues to be year in and year out. I mean, you know, I was at our, our hot list summit, uh, a few weeks ago in Orlando and, you know, I, I feel like the driver I currently have is pretty good. Um, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a SIM max, you know, it helps my slice. Um, you know, I hit it pretty well most of the time. Um, but some of the, the drivers I hit this year, um, you know, you just couldn't miss, like, e even as someone who, you know, has such a out to in swing, um, you know, is, hits a pretty bad slice, doesn't hit a far. I mean, I couldn't miss with some of these clubs. So, um, it, it's a, it's a big year of driver innovation. That was sort of a, a big takeaway, um, at the summit and you know while i can't talk about specific clubs yet mm -hmm. until the results are released at the end mm -hmm. of january um you know th there are some exciting new clubs from the companies that you expect um there's always a few surprises at the summit of even companies you never heard of you know making like cool putters that um you know you just fall in love with right away mm -hmm. I, I always um I'm always interested by that and some of the origin stories of some of these uh, smaller wedge companies or putter companies. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an, it's another um, crazy complex process that we go through and it's, it's probably one of the more impressive feats of any uh, magazine publisher who, you know, devotes such time and energy to um, consumer products and reviewing them. So our equipment editors, Mike Johnson and Mike Stachera, they literally spend from May until the result, results go live in January. They visit all the equipment manufacturers around the country. They go over the white papers from their R&D teams. They, um, you know, meet, they have a panel of retailers from all the major retailers around the country and they get the retailers um, expertise and analysis of what will do well in the market, they have a group of scientists who are some of the smartest people, people you'll ever meet and, you know, huge golfers. And they'll sort of break down the science of what the equipment manufacturers, um, are coming up with and they'll sort of, you know, debunk it or not and say whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, actual innovation or just more minimal than what the equipment companies are saying. And then the most impressive part is we have two weeks of testers who come in and, you know, similar to our course raiders, they mm -hmm. hit every club, uh, over a three day, well, I think it's four day now, um, 
they hit thousands of golf shots over the span of four days. And these people are amazing. You know, they're, they're not robots, but that, that's sort of the point that they're actual humans with, uh, emotions and, um, you know, they do their best job at removing biases too. And, um, right. most of these people, you know, we have, I think 14 people each week come in and test all the clubs. And most of the people have been doing this for years, some of them dozens mm -hmm. of years, and they're just really good at not caring about what the, the name of the club says. They just look at the performance and what it feels like and the sound and mm -hmm. those results, you know, power our, uh, our, our, uh, hot list ranking every year. Mm -hmm. And it's an impressive thing to be a part of, um, you know, most people probably think, oh, it's whatever equipment manufacturer pays us the most money, um, you know, mm -hmm. then their clubs get in the magazine. That's not how it works. Uh, our equipment editors have costed us a lot of money over the years by um, not including certain companies clubs even at you know at, at the last minute when they're begging um it's, it's literally costed us tens of millions of dollars so um you know wow. it, we re, we remove that bias as yeah. well as we can and um just like the course rankings put together a product that we're very proud of every year i saw an interesting post on social media the other day um that said you know because of of it, money makes the world go round and everybody right. sees their favorite tour pro. Well, what clubs are they playing? You know, mm -hmm. and then they, you know, and and the equipment manufacturers realize this, <laughs> and you know, put their, their 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 clubs and their equipment in those hands, and they they pay, they pay them a lot of money to do that. Yep. But the post I saw was, you know, like what what would the clubs be that the tour players would be playing if no sponsorships were involved? Yeah, and yeah. I, right. I thought that was a really interesting post because I was like. Huh. I wonder what they would be playing. I mean, we look back right. years, years back. Uh, you know, all the guys on tour played blades. You know, and blades, and you know, I, I tried to be one of those guys for a while and played <laughs> blades. I mean, I remember I had like a set of Mizuno's MP33s, and those were like awesome, awesome. You know, muscle back blades, but they've come out with so much better technology now. Right. I mean, right. just I mean, all of these college kids coming up. Um, most of the tour players, you know, there's still a few out there that play blades. But I think most of our tour players we're seeing with that technology-backed iron that yep. it looks bladish, but there's so much going on behind the face. You know, yeah. companies just... could do some amazing things, and right. I think a lot of tour pros will have a, a split set of irons these days. So they're hmm. you know four and five iron will be um, you know more game improvementy, uh, right. closer yep. to what we would play, and then you know mm -hmm. blades in the the short iron. So. Yeah, it's interesting um, from the equipment manufacturer's perspective. You know, they they still spend a ton of money on tour, but one of the interesting trends that's happening is they're spending a lot of money on these these influencers in golf, right? These mm -hmm. these companies uh, and you know group of um, hey, Paige. Golf shout out yeah. Paige, Braddock, <laughs> um, the good good guys are huge. Um, Bob yep. does sports. Yep. for play yep. uh from barstool you know they're spending mm -hmm. millions of dollars with these golf brands who um you know people are watching all their videos mm -hmm. on youtube and social media and you know to me i think it's a pretty smart strategy because mm -hmm. rather and i think you're right like the top 30 to 50 players in the world like it matters to people what equipment they're playing um even like wyndham clark wasn't really a known commodity before he won the U S open, but then there was a curiosity. Okay. You know, what, what equipment is he playing? Is it something I should put in my bag? But if you take like the 150th best player in the world, like a, I don't know, Nate Lashley or someone like sure. that, yep. you know, I don't think in no offense to Nate Lashley, I don't think he's driving many equipment sales. And I think hmm. the companies are finally realizing that like, let's spend the money that we would pay to the bottom tier of the tour hmm. to, these brands where millions of people are watching their videos and we could reach a, a way different demographic. So that that's an interesting thing that I'm seeing happen mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, the last year or so uh, marketing budgets are shifting where they're spending their money. And, you know, I think it's just smart based on where people are consuming uh, their content these days. That's, that's interesting. Um, 
you know, one of the one of the uh, features of every issue that I love love to look for is what's in the bag. Yep. And, you know, uh, you know, and, and I guess if we could offer some advice to your everyday average golfer out there, I mean, when you're looking at what's in the bag, if you get into the specs of like what what the shaft weight and the fork yeah. and, and uh, you know, those specific clubs and, you know, everybody wants to play that, you know, these these equipment manufacturers, you know, love that because you're going to go out and buy whatever your favorite player is playing. Right. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be what the everyday <laughs> golfer is probably going to want to hit. You're not going to want to be hitting, a, be. No. you know, uh, an X100, you know, tour spec shaft, you know, 130 gram shaft. You know, I mean, you're going to want something that's more suited to your game. So go to your local golf pro, go to your local outfitter, get fitted for what's going to be best for you and for your swing speed and what's best for your game. I think that's the best advice you can give. It's such an important message because um, I think most people uh, who are average players and, you know, worse players, they think, you know, club fitting doesn't matter for me. I'm I'm so bad, you know, how much better could it actually make me? But in fact, all the fitters will tell you that it makes more of a difference for you rather than fitting a tour pro. So, you know, you could truly get 15 to 20 yards, you know, Mm -hmm. straighten up your dispersion and actually get more enjoyment from the game if, if you're a beginner. Um, right. So I would definitely encourage anyone listening who is just getting into golf or hasn't gotten new clubs in a long time, just go get a fitter. There's there's all these companies now too who will throw in like a, a free fitting if you buy the clubs mm-hmm. through them. So um, it's definitely a cool process to go and check out. Now, if you're thinking too that, you know, that 150th ranked player on tour, which is still like, the upper upper one percent of point percentage of all golfers in the entire world if you're thinking that they don't have you know an equipment sponsor or anything they all do i mean even your 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 pga golfing pro at your local country club they're all on with somebody you know they're they're all equipment and you know they're all all specked out and you know they're playing the best equipment in the world but i i do hear what you're saying though that that those guys, even though they may not be driving sales as much in the industry, the the, the nice thing is that some I, I know some of those guys, they get a little bit more freedom with what they can play. Yes. You know, like they can put together a bag that's going to work for them rather than, oh, okay, if you're tailor-made or you're all ping or all titleist, I mean, you yes. got to play all of their stuff, you know? And yeah. a lot of times they'll, they'll work with you and you, they got that tour van. But I like that these, these lower-ranked guys – they got a little bit more freedom and flexibility in what they can play. There's a lot 100%. of great stuff out there. You're yeah. right. I, I think yeah. that's that, that's been a benefit to a lot of these guys, actually. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like Brooks Kepka was a an equipment oh, yeah. free agent. Um, you know, he has a Strixon deal, but um, playing some other, you know, equipment. He had that um, Nike Vapor in the bag when he was winning those those championships. I'm that's like, right. Yeah, Nike doesn't even make clubs no more. Yeah, I think Tommy Fleetwood still has that Nike Vapor uh, two iron in his bag, even though he's mm-hmm. like full tailor made otherwise. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that flexibility is, is nice for some of these guys. You're right. So, uh, when can we expect the uh, Hot 100 issue to come out? So the next hundred greatest issue. Um, no, no, no. The Hot List. The Hot List. Sorry. Oh, Hot List. My yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the results always come out during the PGA show. So um, last week of January, they'll go live on golfdigest.com. And, you know, there's all these cool new features that we're always rolling out in the digital version of the, uh, the hot list. And then, you know, they'll be in, in a print issue um, shortly thereafter in the next uh, couple of weeks. So yeah, uh, late January, early February, you'll be able to see all the reviews and, um, you know, content surrounding the new clubs for 2024. Cool. Cool. And then, uh, the top 100 greatest 100, when is that? Yeah. So that's biennial. So every other year we, uh, published our most recent ones this year. So the beginning of 2023, that means the next ones won't be out till 2025. So, um, yeah, but really kind of cool new feature on our website is we brought back places to play, um, which as you know, was a a great, uh, franchise for us, um, Mm -hmm. started in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, and, uh, basically assessed golf courses on a star rating. So, um, you know, we would call 
every course in America, either, you know, three star, four star, whatever. And you'll still see golf courses, uh, you know, advertise that they're a four star from golf digest, even though we haven't mm -hmm. done that in like 15 years. Uh, mm -hmm. it kind of speaks to the, the level of that franchise. We've brought that back in a digital sense. So, um, we're trying to basically be like the Zagats or Yelp of golf courses. And obviously there's, you know, golf advisor and other, uh, websites out there, golf now, but, um, we feel like mm -hmm. our audience, um, you know, is looking for more, um, you know, more reviews speaking to the avid golfer rather than like mm -hmm. the other crowd that might just be like, Hey, do they let you take a cooler beer to the course? Like that kind of stuff, which mm -hmm. obviously people care about, but we, we hope <laughs> our, um, our audience is like more nuanced than that. Um, so, so that, that's a cool thing that just came out, um, also this year. So anyone who's listening to this, who, wants to review courses, maybe not on the level of John, but, uh, the next level down, um, if you're a reader and a GD plus, uh, subscriber, now you could go to golfdigest.com and submit reviews on all the courses that you've played. And we hope that, you know, there's a community that is formed there. Um, and we, we get some avid people, um, or, you know, mm -hmm. prominent people in golf contributing to that. So, you know, there's the ability to, you know, interact with like a Brandel Chambly or, you know, someone who's opinionated, but a prominent figure in golf, uh, in that way. So yeah, some mm -hmm. cool, cool, exciting things happening. We have a new world version of our, uh, panel as well that launched this year. And, and that's a big initiative of ours. So, um, yeah, I mean, as you said at the top, um, if you're interested in becoming a panelist, we, we've kind of expanded to a point where we don't need more people, but always looking for qualified, um, individuals who will represent us well. So, so, um, you know, if you are interested, you can send me an email. Um, John will share that in the, uh, description of the, the pod, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, sure thing. if, if you think you could hang with John as a, uh, as a course rater and one of our, you know, professional, um, reviewers, then yeah, you're welcome to apply. We'll see. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> um, real quickly, I just want to talk about, you know, 100 greatest. Um, you know, I think the, the Pine Valleys and the Augusta Nationals and the Pebble Beaches of the world mm -hmm. are, are firmly planted, um, in, in, not only in, in, in golf, but in the hearts of minds of, of you know, the golfing uh, world. Um, you know, and those, are, those courses are fantastic. They're never going to, you know, leave the top. Um, talk about, but you know, there are some really fantastic newer courses that yes. have, uh, been moving, uh, you know, up the list with a bullet. Um, talk about some of those courses that we've seen, um, with the 2023 rankings that came out, kind of some of those hot courses that have, you know, made their way into the 100. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the most interesting thing is always the new courses and, you know, where they stack up against, um, you know, the Pine Valleys and, uh, you know, the Cypress Points, the, the ones that mm -hmm. are the mainstays. Um, so a few of those this year, Ohoopy Match Club, um, which is the new uh, course by Gil Hans down in Georgia. Um, a lot of buzz around that. And it was our best new course in 2022. So everyone mm -hmm. was wondering where it would appear on our ranking. So it's mm -hmm. it debuted at 34, which is a very high debut on our rankings. Definitely. Um, so you know, that will probably only continue to go up and, you know, the newer courses like a, a Bally meal out in Colorado. Um, it debuted on our rankings in 2011 at 95 and it's gone up every single year. It's now 36. Mm -hmm. That's a Tom Doak course in Colorado. And, uh, I, you know, this is a private course. A lot of the courses we'll talk about here are private. Um, but, mm -hmm. um, that course continues to get better and better, um, in the eyes of our, of our panelists, uh, sleepy hollow is one that I think needs to be higher. And again, it doesn't matter what I think because it's all right. the panelists, but, um, you know, it has undergone a major transformation over the last 10 to 15 years. And, you know, it's now, I think in the sixties on our ranking, but like golf magazine has it, mm. I think they have it in like at 25 or so that might be a little too high but hmm. i think 
it's my favorite course anywhere. Sleepy Hollow, they, they don't pay me anything to say that. I, I just genuinely think it. Um, it is just so good, and you have to get up to the New York area and play it, John, if you haven't yet. It's it's spectacular. CB McDonald, um, views of the Hudson, yeah. some great templates. It's it's as good as it gets, in my opinion. Um, and so that one, you know, that's a bone I have to pick with our panelists. Um <laughs> Another new course, well, it's not new, but since we reduced um, a new thing that we did this year was instead of needing 75 ballots to get on our 100 greatest, you only needed 50, and that's over a 10-year cycle. So mm -hmm. in the past, there were some courses that would have made our ranking but didn't meet that um, high ballot threshold. So one of the mm -hmm. courses that would have always made our ranking but now for the first time it did was Nenea out in Hawaii, um, which is a David McClay kid course built for, you know, some of the most wealthy people on the planet. Um, mm. The Rockefellers and Charles Schwab. Um, you know, this, this is a mm. place that um, people like us are, are just lucky to get to go for four hours. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, it's cool to learn about these sort of places and, um, you know, the, the place that they do have in golf. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's cool to see those sort of courses popping up. And I would say the, as a last takeaway are all these older courses that have been renovated now and, um, seeing their fluctuation on our rankings is, is super interesting as well. So, you know, old town club in Winston-Salem, North Carolina is an old mm -hmm. Perry Maxwell course and, uh, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw renovated it, uh, a few years ago. And, it debuted on our ranking in 2019 and now has gone up um, the last two years. It's now 54th on our ranking, which, um, you know, is quite a big increase from 92nd uh, the year before. So um, these big moves like that, uh, particularly to a course like that, that has recently been renovated is, is always one of the more interesting things to me. There's a core in uh, Crenshaw course, um, back home here where I live in Wisconsin, um, by the name of sand Valley. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, talk about the, a, a the, hot topic in golf. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, just Alita. talk about, talk about Wisconsin golf in general. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're quickly becoming like the Midwest <laughs> Mecca of golf. I mean, you got, you know, the, the Kohler courses, yep. uh, black wolf run and, and, uh, you know, the straights, uh, we had the open at, um, um, Oh, drawing a blank now. Yeah, Aaron Hills. Aaron, Aaron Hills. Yeah, um, you got Lawsonia. You got um, yeah the Senior Open. Yeah, the Senior Open. Point. At Stevens Point. Century yeah. World. I was trying yeah. to think of Century World. I yeah. mean, to me, I think Wisconsin has the best public golf in the U.S. You know, the highest rated public golf. Um, so you know, it's a, it's a great, exciting time for Wisconsin golf and the Lido coming out. Um, you know, it was new this year. It'll probably be a contender for best new for us. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that debuts on our 100 greatest or second 100 uh, next time. And then you have yeah. Sed Valley opening next year. So, yeah, I'm hoping to get back to, yeah, it looks it looks great. So I'm hoping to get back to Sand Valley. There's a lot of exciting things happening there, that's for sure. Now, Sand Valley actually does have a companion course called Mammoth Dunes. Now, there's yes. a funny story behind that that I believe Golf Digest had uh, some contribution on yeah. like, uh, uh, to the design of one of the holes, actually. Tell yep. us about how that happened. Yeah, so our um, we every year we have a, a contest called the Armchair Architect Contest. And in 2017, the gentleman who won, um, you know, we worked with David McClay Kidd, who built Mammoth Dunes, that, you know, the winner of the contest would be able to actually go out and in the field help David, David's team build that hole. And the hole that that gentleman got to help with is, to me, the most fun hole at the course. It's totally. the 14th, yeah, the drivable par four. And, you know, you, you go down into that valley. You know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, if you're not a great player, you still could be rewarded for hitting one good tee shot. And, you know, that's what you'll think. That's what your yeah. takeaway will be, um, yeah. you know, as you finish your round. And... Yeah, he, you know, the guy got to go up on a bulldozer and, you know, and work on shaping that hole. And 
Uh, you got to learn from David McClay Kidd and his team, and you know he has some some really brilliant people working for him. So, um, yeah, pretty cool thing that uh, Brian Silvernail was the name of that guy, and uh, yeah, uh, I think he got a pretty cool experience. One that uh, the rest of us would would love to uh, have one day. So. I've actually played it, and uh, you know, like it's, it's it's a big sweeper, you know, mm-hmm. from off the side of a, of a slope. And you can hit like three wood, you can hit driver, you could like hit a duck hook off of it or just a skull one, and it'll run off that hill all the way down to the green, you know, and then I I think I think my ball actually ended up on the green. Like it all just funnels down onto a yep. green. But yep. then the green is like insane. Wicked. <laughs> I might end up bogeying it because it was just like a crazy green, but yeah, it's like I a reverse Redan green on a yeah. par four, which is crazy. Yeah. Just a lot of fun. I think that's yeah. that's awesome that uh, you know, Golf Digest uh, afforded that opportunity and, and to give somebody an opportunity to help design. You know, it's it's just amazing. So yeah. if you if you if for everybody listening out there, if you get a chance, go and I want to look for a, a great buddies trip, or just some great courses to play. Make your way down to uh, the Nakusa area of Wisconsin, yeah. down Sand Valley. You're transported. I mean, I've never been to Bandon Dunes, but I heard you know like I've seen seen it on tv yep <laughs> uh you know you're basically transported out of the the trees and lakes and and forest land of wisconsin onto like this sandy doesn't even look like you're in the state anymore i mean you're literally 100%. transported so yeah i don't, I don't cool. even know where it feels mm-hmm. like um and the lido i think is going to be the 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 craziest experience to you know think that you're sort of in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Um, but it feels like you're out on Long Island playing one of the, the best courses that existed in the 1920s. Yeah. And they've yeah. literally replicated it, you know, by, you know, the inch um, in the yard um, based on old photographs and mm. um, 3D mapping. Really cool story. Um, so Sand Valley is, you know, that, that's one of the places I need to get back to in 2024 to play Lido, Sedge Valley. It, it's it's really good. They got great accommodations. Uh, they got the par three course through the sandbox is great. Court Crenshaw mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Wisconsin golf, man, it's the place to be. Let's talk, uh, North Carolina real quick. We got the open coming up Yes, at, uh, Pinehurst number two this year. I'm actually mm-hmm. getting the, going to play it, uh, next oh, month. Awesome. Yeah. Great. We're taking a buddy's trip down there. Um, I, I guess they don't have like a ton of play going on. We're hoping that it's going to be nicer, but, um, they're upgrading us, you know, to the, to the Carolina. So oh, it's going to be, nice. it's going to be nice. Um, you know, uh, give us a little, give us a little, uh, update, maybe a little, uh, overview of, uh, what we can expect, uh, this year down in, uh, Pinehurst for the open. Yeah. I mean, Pinehurst is one of, you know, the meccas of American golf and, um, you know, all the great courses down there and they have a, a very um reputable course opening uh they're opening their 10th course um next year tom doak um i think it's expected to be open for you know preview play you know in april or so i've seen pictures and it looks all grassed so you know depending on the, the winter that they have and hoping it's pretty mild for your trip's sake um i, I think you could get pretty lucky down there this time of year, uh, especially a couple of Wisconsin guys, you, you guys will be fine. Um, t-shirt yeah, it's no, weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's t-shirt weather. Ah, hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Shorts. That's no problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, what makes Pinehurst number two are the greens and, you know, just yeah. the geniusness of, of Donald Ross and, um, what he did at number two is something that every golf course architect has studied in, in a pretty similar way to St. Andrews. Um, and so, you know, what to expect the, the tour guys to do there. Um, you know, you can bomb it off the tee a little bit. There, there's a little space uh, on some of the holes, not so much. But, um, you know, like I'm thinking four and five, you could you could kind of hit it um, pretty far out there. But uh, some really impressive elevation changes. And, again, the greens. Like, that to me is, is the key to Piner's number two. It's, it's pretty similar to Augusta in that – you can't miss in the wrong spot. Um, you know, it's all about strategy and, you know, if, if you are going to miss it, if give yourself a chance to get up and down, because if not, um, you know, it's easy to, to make a bogey or three putt on those greens. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. 
I think. I think it played great the last U.S. Open when Martin Keimer won. Obviously, he won by like eight shots or whatever it ended up being and um, was sort of a dud weekend. But, Mm -hmm. you know, take Keimer out of it. And, you know, I I think the best score, next best score was Ricky Fowler, like one or two under. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's going to be another interesting U.S. Open and a, a good layout that doesn't necessarily just reward you know the bomb and gouge uh mentality it's really a thinking person's golf course for sure i think one of the things that surprised me the most the first time i ever played number two was the the actual openness of the course right right. um i mean you know there's there are trees it's tree line but i mean they're pretty much not in play for the most part Mm -hmm. you know you got like these these waste areas and like these these clumps of of grass, wire grass, the wire. I mean, you might get lucky more than often than not and just end up in like some hard pan or in the flat spot. But, uh, you know, there was a few times where I hit some balls and I like, you, you had to take a penalty and pick yeah. the ball. Cause you it, couldn't, you couldn't even get the club on it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it definitely comes, comes down to, uh, you know, where you place the ball, but it's, it's definitely taken on, um, you know, this persona, of of mecca of golf you know yes. the, the cradle yeah uh, the, that's right the, the cradle the, the par three cradle that's that's a lot of fun um i i i actually prefer number four uh i think number mm. four is 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 another i mean you, you talk about pinehurst number two and number four are the you know the, Those the, the two best for the sure two best you know yeah and after um, gil changes to number four yeah i mean i agree mm-hmm. it's it's a ton of fun um you know i think number two could really beat up people it does have a lot of width but um Mm -hmm. you know with the greens being so challenging i think number four might be a little more playable so yeah i I love number four as well there's a great course a little ways outside of uh of pinehurst um called the dormy club yes yeah 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 i mean that's i i think i don't know can we call it a hidden gem i mean but if, (laughs) if you're heading down to to uh uh the open if you're heading down to pinehurst um, check it out. Check out the Dormy Club. I mean, that's that's a pretty pretty badass course in and of itself. Yep. So yeah. the the amount of great golf in that mm-hmm. area is is oh, pretty insane. Yeah. It's you know yeah. every every corner is a new course, and they're all pretty good because they're built on sand and uh, with some fun elevation changes. The, the sand hills yeah. in North Carolina are great. They just redid uh, Southern Southern Pines, um, mm-hmm. and Mid Pines is great um pine needles i mean mm-hmm. tobacco road is one of my one of my favorite courses it's that could be a little controversial crazy. people like it or hate it but um, tobacco road's crazy yeah yeah it's mounds you know, blind shots yeah it's like someone built the course on acid and um <laughs> <laughs> and god bless mike strands because he's not with us anymore but i, I oh. think he would appreciate that comment the the boldness <laughs> of that design yeah. is, is so much fun and um i've only played it once and i can't wait to get back to play it again me too yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely gonna get back on tobacco world that was that was a trip man to say the least yes exactly <laughs> it truly <laughs> describes it um i, I want to change gears real quickly and and kind of close the the podcast out with uh you know a, a sensitive topic um and one that i'm i'm sure you're pretty well informed on um you know to our golf listeners out there uh, this merger, uh, with Piff and right. uh, the live golf tour. Uh, we just saw John Rahm make the, the change over and we, we've, we've just been seeing so much outspokenness from both sides, you know, both sides, both camps. I mean, really, really heated discussion. Um, talk a little bit about, about, you know, what you're privy to with, with live and the PGA tour. And if you could elaborate a little bit on what your thoughts are, on what this means for the future of, of golf. Yeah. It, it's really unfortunate because we're in this great time in recreational golf, you know, mm-hmm. participation is higher than it's ever been. I think the pro game was so great uh, going into COVID. And then it was the first sport back first professional sport back after um, COVID and, you know, being able to be outside people found that this was uh, the best sport to play um, in that new social distancing world. Um, so now to have this division is is really hurting the game, and I think fans are probably tired of hearing about it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the at the end of the day, 
we, we don't know what the um, the end result is going to be because nobody mm -hmm. does. Um, you know, John Rahm uh, going to live was, you know, there had been rumors for a couple weeks and months leading up to it. But if you yeah. were to have said in April after he won the Masters that uh, at the end of the year he'd be with Liv, I, I think people would have been really surprised right. to hear that. And I think people would have been really surprised after June 6th and uh, the announcement that the Saudis and the PGA Tour were going into this, you know, sort of agreement. Um, you know, it, it wasn't totally the merger that we all sort of thought at the beginning because all it was was a, a an agreement to work together toward an agreement. Um, mm -hmm. And the only thing binding was uh, the lawsuits that were ongoing um, to get rid of those. So mm -hmm. I think the, the most interesting thing to me um, is the ROM move by the PIF and the Saudis basically signals to me that they were getting fed up with the way that the PGA Tour was approaching this agreement over the last couple months. So, you know, based on what we know of what the tour announced over the last couple of weeks is they had been working with these other groups, um, you know, one of which was the, uh, I'm going to get the abbreviation wrong, but the group of team owners, this mm -hmm. is the, in the sport uh, investment group um, right. who agreed to invest, you know, a couple billion dollars into the PGA tour. Sure. And, you know, these discussions had been happening for the last couple of months. And I think ultimately what, the PIF found was that the tour were having those conversations without them involved at all. So um, mm -hmm. they basically, I think, made the ROM move, be like, "Hey, if you want to mess with us and kind of elbow out of those us out of those discussions, you know, we're we're here for it. We're, we have uh, the most open pockets. You mm -hmm. know, the, we have all the money in the world. So if you want to play that game, we could play that game. We'll take your." your best player. And um, I think that probably was a jolt a little bit to the PGA tour. Although I, I think from just reading the tea leaves a little bit, they, they still think they could do this um, without full, um, full participation from PIF. They, they ultimately, I think would love to live in a world where the live and the PGA tours are not, um, so coexistent um but I, I just don't see a way for that to happen the saudis aren't going to back down um it's mm -hmm. not like they're going to decide to get out of golf with all the money that they've invested um so you know i think ultimately december 31st is a, a date that originally they said they would want to come up with an agreement on it doesn't feel like they'll likely meet that, uh, you know, we're recording this on December 21st. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that there have been meetings between the two sides over the last week or so, but, um, the fact that we haven't heard anything about those isn't the best of signs. So, um, I think my feeling on how it goes forward is, you know, there's some sort of, um, there's some sort of next agreement to extend that deadline. And we see in January or February um, that the tour includes PIF in some sort of agreement going forward. Um, but it's, it's messy. And like I said, no one knows how it's going to end up. Cause mm -hmm. you know, if, if you were to say you're going to know how it ends up, you'd be lying. Cause you know, Jay Monahan doesn't know um, you know, the, the head of PIF doesn't know. Right. Um, John Robin doesn't know. DJ doesn't know. Tiger doesn't know. Um, it, it's all, it's all happening. And, you know, it's an interesting time to be in golf content because there's such an interest, I think, in how this all shakes out. Um, while at the same time, we also know it's not a great thing for our game. You know, we all know that these pros should be paid accordingly for their time. And, yeah. um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, th three years ago, how the best players in the world were compensated, it, that probably wasn't right. And, um, you know, wasn't reflective of how much money the tour mm -hmm. was making. But um, yeah, I think the average golf fan also is kind of tired of hearing about money, 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 money. Like, right. you know, we just right. want to watch like the Honda Classic and have some good names in it. Um, mm -hmm. We want to watch Bay Hill, like these tournaments that 
we've known our entire lives and um and we want these players to be doing things not just for money but for pride and um you know that's what we learned that golf is it's about integrity and um you know we're just we're losing so much of that with with this this break uh in the professional yeah. game and it's really yeah. unfortunate i mean I, I, i'm a fan of golf just in general i mean and these guys that have gone over to live i i wanted to watch it and it was difficult if not Correct. impossible to watch i mean and, yeah. you know i want to see it and i'd see highlights and stuff like that but it's like man i want to watch some of that too there's big yeah. names on the live tour um you know i was really hoping that like you mentioned the the, the merger um was going to mean you know a unification we're going to get everybody back together for some events it doesn't right. look like that's going to happen anytime soon um but it, i don't know i mean this just caused a lot of of uproar um this past week victor hovland was really outspoken and uh, had some some choice words for uh, upper management, you know, at the PGA. Um, To to quote Victor, uh, the management has not done a good job. They almost see the players as labor and not as part of the members. After all, we are the PGA Tour. Without the players, there is nothing. I mean, what does that say? I mean, that's like a shot across the bow of of Jay Monahan and and the, the upper management guys, right? Yeah, and this is someone who's the young star of the PGA Tour calling out his, um, you know, the the tour officials. And I think a lot of, you know, most people on the PGA Tour have some gripe, whether, you know, you're a more rank-and-file player, um, you know, like a Nate Lashley, we'll use him as an example again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there were a lot of those guys who just, um, you know, sent that letter uh, a couple weeks back um, sort of demanding that, you know, their voices are heard more because, you know, increasingly it's the top five or top 10 best players sort of deciding the future of the tour. Um, we saw James Hahn, who was on the player advisory board. Um, he, you know, stepped down because he was frustrated that, you know, his voice and, you know, he was looking out for the other rank and file players. Um, you just didn't see that happening. And, you know, I think people have laughed at James Hahn and some of the things that he said and some of the social media spats. But I think when you look at the arguments he was making, um, those are shared by a lot of players out there. And, you know, now it's come out that Patrick Cantlay is basically like running the show from mm-hmm. a player perspective. And I, I don't think he has the respect that like a Rory McIlroy did. And we saw Rory step down from the board because he didn't like the way that things were going and, um, was pretty frustrated all the time that he spent. Um, now all of a sudden his opinions aren't, um, mattering. So it's, it's just a mess. And, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that Tiger is kind of, um, referred to the tour not being run great. I mean, you know, he's in these, he's in all these meetings and, uh, he's still frustrated. So, Mm -hmm. um, things are going to have to change The the players are pretty fed up, um, it's just so different than any other professional sport and the major ones in the U S at least where, you know, players are part of a union and the union fights on behalf of the, uh, of the players. That's, that doesn't exist in golf. They're independent mm-hmm. contractors really. So mm-hmm. that system has worked for, you know, since the PGA tour was founded by, you know, Arnold Palmer and, mm-hmm. um, and those guys in the sixties. And, um, here we are, it's taken that long for there to be such disruption. Um, and it, you know, it was a pretty huge event with the, the Saudis and PIF getting into the game right. um, to do that. But, you know, hopefully, ultimately, it ends up being um, better for the players. That's just tough to envision what that will look like at this point. Right. I mean, just just looking at the whole situation, I mean, the, the, the hope and the desire is that, you know, this is this is a change for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I would agree that I don't think that the direction the PGA was headed was very healthy, uh, especially for the players. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I looked at like some of the things that Phil Mickelson yes. was outspoken for in, in the beginning, right from the onset, you know, and I, I kind of haven't always necessarily been a Phil guy, but, um, you know, as more of these, uh, uh, information came to light 
about what was really going on behind the scenes and things like that. Um, you know, one of those gripes was, well, you know, we got millions of dollars. What should we do with it? You know, they're going to take a, a fraction of that money and, and do this when it could be reinvested into the lower tours to help grow the game and to help, you know, and that didn't happen. You know, and I was kind of like, oh, I think I think Phil was on to something there, you know, and he moved over and, you know, all of this stuff has happened. Um, I, I think that change change was probably inevitable. But, um, you know, I think our hope is that whatever happens as a result of, of this merger and everything that it's going to mean, you know, the, the game that we still all love and appreciate that it's going to be better. Um, you know, because we want, we all want to watch it on TV. We all want to play it. We all want to play these courses and play these clubs and, and, you know, and hopefully not a, not a deadened ball, (laughs) but (laughs) the stuff that's just happening, it's just, it's a crazy, crazy time in golf right now. There's so much going on. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an interesting dichotomy based on the popularity Mm -hmm. of the sport and, you know, the, the pro game was in such a great place. I actually Mm -hmm. just rewatched, uh, the 2019, masters last night because um you know it was just kind of going viral on on twitter and uh, i watched the final round and you know tiger winning and um there. The, you were there I was, for it i was there i was there that year, yeah were you there yeah. on sunday no i wasn't there on sunday but we got to follow tiger around sick uh, for the for the practice rounds and it was just like to to be there when he won it to be a part of that it was just you know yeah. something that'll that'll stay with you a, a memory that's going to stay with you forever my takeaway was like golf was in such a great place in the professional game after Mm -hmm. Tiger won, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the new generation of guys got to see that, you know, this is who Tiger Woods is. And, you know, he had his comeback, the return to glory. That was one of the biggest comebacks in sports history. And, you know, all these great players, Brooks Kepka and DJ and Xander and Finau, like had their best shot at him. And, you know, the game seemed to be in such a good place. And, now look at where we are not too long after that it's crazy Mm. to think about right i don't know it's it's it is crazy to think about i don't know where we're going to be at but i think one thing we can guarantee is that 2024 is going to be a crazy year yes we're gonna we're gonna see some shit and (laughs) i'm I'm like a kid with the popcorn man just yeah staring watching like you know waiting to see what's going to happen uh steve You've been a fantastic guest. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and joining on the show, man. Always happy to have you, and you're welcome back anytime, my friend. Awesome. Yeah, no, really enjoyed the the conversation, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening to this. And, uh, yeah, look forward to catching up soon. Sounds good. Take care. Thanks, John. And that was great.